You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Waddle, waddle! Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Again. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass of the day. Drive Time with Travis Wingfield begins... Now, let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is a football Friday, maybe the last one of the year. We'll see. We'll hear from Jersey and the perspective on the New York Jets. We'll answer your questions via the Twitter mailbag and hear from the Dolphins assistant coaching staff and a heck of a lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time. That's another Miami Dolphins. Go ahead and get to my guest today. You know him. He's been on the podcast several times before. Antoine Staley. And joining me now is a columnist for the New York Daily News. We somehow seem to wind up in the same regions of the country, but at different times. He's worked in Eugene covering the Oregon Ducks, and you all likely recall him from his time down here covering the Miami Dolphins, Antoine Staley. Antoine, second time on the pod this season, now working on the Jets beat. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Like I told you before you got on the air, well, I'll, I'll have a better answer for you right around 4.30 on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> um, but I know you'll be down here before then. It's a, a place that you love to come visit when you're when you're not working here. But you are working with a little bit of, you know, leisure time this weekend. So what's on the agenda, man? Like I know you've got your usual spots you want to hit up. But what are you going to uh, when you get in town this weekend? Uh, well, I mean, I've had a good two weeks. I was actually in your uh, neck of the woods, like in the home. Seattle last week, so that was a lot of fun, and right, uh, yeah. probably do so like some uh, Cuban sand, like get a Cuban sandwich somewhere. Probably hit downtown Fort Lauderdale a little bit, and then just kind of relax and you know catch some beach stuff too, like some waves. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. There, there is a cold front coming in this weekend, but as you know, cold fronts in South Florida usually mean right around 60, 70 degrees. So you could get to the beach. But I am curious, Antoine, you can't say that without me asking the follow-up. What was your favorite part about visiting Seattle? Uh, I mean, I love the city. Like, I'm I, this might like, my third time being there. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, a lot of people go to Pike Place and, you know, kind of the tourist stuff there. I, I just personally just like the food. I think uh, it's, I'm a big foodie, so I think not only just fish, but, you know, other uh, food that you can uh, try in Seattle. And I love the downtown area. I think it's uh, really you know, not just the tourist stuff, but also some of the stuff that locals get into as well. So, yeah, this is one of my favorite cities in the country and somewhere I always love to visit when I do get, when I am able to go. Oh, man, you're buttering me up. Yeah, the Seattle region, I would put their Japanese up against anywhere else in the country. Oh, so yes. it's Sushi. Sushi, yeah, teriyaki, man, some yeah. of the teriyaki they have. Whoo, boy, there's, there's a oh, place yeah. called I Love Teriyaki that I, I, when I go there, I try to make sure I get it at least a couple times <laughs> every single time I do. But Enough about where we come from and our food and all that fun stuff. It's a fun conversation. But we have a big game coming up on Sunday, at least for, you know, I would say probably a big game for both teams. I'm sure the Jets want to get a victory here. And that's where we kind of start. And I think people probably circled this game, at least, you know, back when 8-3 and three and 7-4 and four were the two records of these teams as a potential play-in game or at the very least having playoff implications for both sides. That's not the case. But I did want to ask you, and I think you even asked the question at your press conference uh, with Robert Sala, what is the Jets' mindset coming into this one? 
Well, I mean, I asked him, did he, were they, are they um, okay playing spoiler? And then he said, yeah, I mean, in the back of my mind, if I'd asked other players too, like, yeah, they understand what the situation is. They understand the Dolphins have a still, I have an opportunity to get into the postseason. And, you know, they, you know, misery likes company. So, you know, if they, they're not in the playoffs, then, you know, why, you know, should they get into the playoffs? And, you know, it's been a, you know, a down month for both teams. Both teams have lost five straight games and both teams were also in playoff position too. The Dolphins still are. The Jets obviously got eliminated with Seattle, but yeah, I think their mindset is just get a win and just end the season on a positive note, try to end this five game losing streak. And then going in there with going to the off season with some type of confidence there, as opposed to, you know, you lose it straight. It's, I mean, that's hard to, you know, fathom and come back from. And then you have to answer all these questions in the yeah. offseason. So one of these teams are going to lose it straight going into the year. Who that is, we'll, we'll find out on Sunday. But, yeah, it's definitely uh, uncharted territories for both teams, especially uh, considering how the year is going for both of them. Yeah, tell Coach that, you know, Coach McDaniel can join with the pool in a couple weeks. We don't got to be there right away. We got we got some time here before we can get to the pool side <laughs> and, and get the vacations going here and get the golf game and all that stuff going. And, you know, you, you know, you talk about the losing streaks here, Antoine. I'm not sure two teams in the NFL have experienced more just general angst about the quarterback position, but for very different reasons, obviously. But bottom line, playing three, or in the Jets' case, when Chris Trevler came into the game a couple weeks ago, four quarterbacks is obviously less than ideal. Mike White seems to be the one that has emerged a little bit from that group, and I'd be curious to hear if you agree with that. But what I also want to know, Antoine, is what was White doing well before the injury, and then what did you think of his performance on Sunday in Seattle as, to me, he continues to prove to be one of the toughest guys in the league because that rib injury against the Bills, that was no joke, man. Yeah, uh, I think before the rib injury, I think what he was doing, he was a sound decision maker. He was uh, throwing the ball just where anticipation, I think that's something that I I thought he did a really good job of. You look at games against Minnesota or uh, Chicago or Buffalo, I thought he did a good job hitting his receivers in stride and just finding the open man. And that's something that the Jets have struggled with at times, whether Joe Flacco started earlier um, when Zach Wilson was hurt. And then obviously when Zach was there, Zach had some ups and downs there. He had obviously started, you know, the last game against the Dolphins. But I thought Mike White did a great job just anticipating receivers and was able to hit the open man and just the command of the offense. I felt like Mike White had a better, you know, grasp of it than uh, the other quarterbacks, too. And last week was, you know, you could tell he was still bothered by the rib injury. He was good enough where he was cleared, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's 100% healthy. And I definitely think you saw that where, you know, he was missing some of those open receivers and did not look like the same guy that he was uh, prior to the Buffalo game uh, when he, you know, took a lot of many shots in that game, especially, you know, the one that I think a lot of people uh, resonated with us with the Matt Milano hitch ended up putting him out the game before he ended up coming back in there so we'll see if he they're able to get him some type of better protection this week but yeah he clearly wasn't the same quarterback that he was prior to the end that's why you commend his toughness so much we just heard from Dolphins running backs coach Eric Studisville about Alec Ingold playing with the cast and six days after he got pins put in his thumb he came to coach and said you're not playing this game without me I just I think it's so cool that you have guys in the league that that play that way and have that approach and that style and obviously Mike White's one of them and you know Antoine I know you're well versed in the world of social media I've seen you go through some some battles and some <laughs> some arguments on there as a lot of people have and and the individual factions of you know team fan bases and you're you're well versed in Dolphins Twitter and and perusing Jets Twitter as well 
to me, I've seen the most angst about the quarterback position and the offensive line in my week kind of review here. And I think that's got more to do with the injuries than anything. How would you assess the Jets offensive line from a health standpoint, from a production standpoint? You kind of alluded to it. They're talking about better protection this week. What's been going on with the offensive line, you know, the last couple of weeks over this losing streak? I mean, just all year, it's been like 11 different lineups in the <laughs> offensive line. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to win that way in the league where you're having so much transition between the offensive line. Dwayne Brown was hurt earlier this year. He came back. You know, he's been dealing with a shoulder injury all year. George Fant was injured, suffered a knee injury. He's, you know, playing, but necessarily he's not healthy. And I think you can definitely tell that, too. Uh, Elijah Bear Tucker, who I felt like uh, was their best offensive lineman, he ended up getting a uh, try torn triceps, ended up being out for the season. So I just think it's the lack of continuity with this offensive line. It always seems like somebody is hurt, like at some particular time every single week. You know, whether it be at the guard position or the tackle, uh, Connor McGovern is probably the only consistent player that's been there like all year long for the Jets. Outside of that, everything has really changed around him. So I just think it's uh, um, the fact that they've just had a ton of injuries and just hadn't been able to get on track. And, and it's hard. And, and you know, and uh, you know this, too. Like, just playing, you know, on the offensive line, you need chemistry. Yep. Everybody needs to know, like, just everybody's tendencies and you know, what they do well and what they don't do. And then when you don't have that, when you're not playing together regularly uh, and have a bunch of injuries and a lot of people coming in and out, it's kind of hard to, you know, get that going, especially so late in the season. So I think that's probably their biggest issue and probably one of the reasons why, you know, the lack of protection has been a problem. Especially in this offense, you know, both these offenses come off the Shanahan tree with that wide zone principle. So you, that's very important to have that chemistry and continuity up front. Just real quick, Antoine, for my own curiosity here, and this is aside from the game this week, do you think Elijah Vera Tucker long-term is a, a guard or a tackle for the Jets? I would put him at right tackle. Like, person, and, you know, we'll see how they, you know, it with left tackle but I think he's a tackle I mean I think he'd already played well, played so well, well enough yeah. to be a tackle um, and plus you want that premium money yeah. if you're a lot of red tackle so yeah I, I think you know I, I think it's easier to find a guard than it is a tackle uh, you, you, you have your outside guys and then you, you fill in the rest with the middle so yeah I think it'd be better serve for them to put him at tackle and then just kind of go find some guards in the offseason. And Joe, I'm sure Joe Douglas would say, hey, I found a tackle in the draft because, you know, picking a guard in, in the mid part of the first round, sometimes it doesn't happen that often. But when all of a sudden you get a, you know, a franchise level tackle in that part of the draft, it's like, wow, how do they find that guy that late? So it's a, it's definitely a big difference in those two positions, but he's good at either one of them. Man. He's, a, he's a crazy talented player. I was, I was just curious because, you know, a, a player of that caliber, I'm curious to hear, hear his long-term prognosis with our biggest rival yeah. here. And on the other side of the football, you know, this is a top flight defense, Antoine, you've covered it all year long. And I find it intriguing that they had 15 takeaways through the first 11 games of the season, but only one since what's changed there in your estimation. Well, I think one thing is they're not throwing the Sauce Gardner a whole lot right, too. Right. I think I think he would uh, have more than two interceptions if that was the case. But you know, teams have decided. I, I remember you know the Lions game; they didn't throw him at all, right. like whatsoever. <laughs> so I think teams are giving him that respect. Like saying, you know, he's one of the already one of the best corners in football. Let's just not throw his way. And then there are other guys on the Jets defense that. They feel like they're able to exploit their, uh, whether it be their secondary, whether safety positions or also, you know, Michael Carter. I mean, Michael Carter's a nice nickel cornerback, but 
you know, nearly not on the same level as uh, Sauce Gardner. DJ Reese played really well, too. Like, I think he's played at a near Pro Bowl level as well. But, you know, you'd rather challenge him than to challenge somebody that's six foot three and, you know, 210 pounds and is lanky and, you know, such a great cover corner as a rookie as Sauce Gardner. So I think that's part of it. I think another part of it. They just haven't been able to, you know, get on fumbles. They've had opportunities to get turnovers, but they haven't been able to just secure the ball. So I think that's I think those are probably two reasons why they haven't been able to create those turnovers. And then I think that's why the defense has kind of struggled a little bit as well. They've kind of slipped a little bit. I think they're still a top 10 defense, but nearly they hadn't played uh, as well as they should have. And I think you kind of saw that with the Seattle game last week where they ended up giving up 198 yards rushing uh, uh, especially the play at the beginning of the game, which I feel like really was a turning point. They really like set the tone for the whole game against Seattle. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think this game comes down to you know turnovers ultimately for Miami and the Jets this week. So you know, normally on the defensive side or the, the entire podcast, I would go position by position and ask you about the pressing stories at each each spot. But I feel like you know myself and my my audience here on the podcast. We're joined by Antoine Staley of the New York Daily News. Uh, they're as well-versed on the Jets as anybody besides the Dolphins. Like, we know this team, right? And so I want to take it in this direction. And actually, it's kind of twofold. Let's start with this up front and then one on the back end as well. Starting up front with the stars, like Quinnen is an absolute star. John Franklin Myers, you know, Carl Lawson, Sheldon Rankin, Rankins, uh, Quincy Williams, C.J. Mosley. It's a really good front seven. Now, again, you mentioned it there in the end, talking about the Seahawks going for a buck 98. So my question is, despite this loaded group, when teams have had success against the Jets up front, whether it's pass pro or running the game, running the ball, how do they do it? Well, I think you, know, you kind of saw with Seattle last week where they kind of like a run zone, run, run scheme. And, you know, Kenneth Walker is really good, too. So I think that kind of helps as well. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, having running backs that can also take advantage in the passing game, but also the running game and just the scheme. Uh, I think they've had a lot of success, too, as well. And also, I think in the passing game, uh, the Jets have had trouble covering tight ends. So you could see a game. This could be a game where they could feature Mike Gusecki, uh very well, especially if they're able to get the ball to him. Uh, assuming the Jets don't, you know, sack Scholar Thompson or whoever's back there, quarterback Mike Lennon. But yeah, I think they've had trouble covering tight ends and backs uh, out the backfield, and uh, I think that's been a bit of Achilles' heel too. As receivers, you know, can be hit or miss, especially considering the Jets' secondary. Its top two corners have been really good this year, although. I mean, the Dolphins have two top flight wide receivers as well. So it's always going to make for a good matchup too as well. So, yeah, I I definitely think, you know, those have been really the Achilles heel with the Jets defense there, the the slot uh, cornerback position, but also the safeties as well have been attacked as well. That's exactly why this is such an intriguing game for me because, like, you said it, and I put it in my preview podcast on Thursday, like, you know, the the places besides Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed have obviously had more success than going after them, but at the same time, that's probably who Hill and Waddle go up against. So, like, do you choose to go away from your best players to go away from that? It's, it's fascinating. We'll see what happens on Sunday uh, when the Dolphins. Yeah, and I think real quick, too, not that. Well, I think you might see the Dolphins move. Like, it's not typical move either. Yeah. Like, they usually set in their spots, too. So, you might see, you know, throwing it out there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Medea were to uh, move those guys around, maybe in the slide, just to get yeah. them going and get them some, you know, receptions early in the game and get some rhythm to the offense. And maybe see if the Jets do want to kick somebody inside. You know, if Tyreek or, or Jalen catches a few passes in a row, like, hey, we got to make a stop here. So maybe you force the Jets out of what they do best. That's why it's so fascinating, man. It's a good matchup, and mm-hmm. and hopefully these teams are matching up this way for years to come. And it's it's for more, you know, uh, for big stakes in the AFC East. We've been looking forward to that for a long time here. So, Antoine, we finish up with this question with everybody here on the Friday 
podcast. The Jets will win if, and then it's your floor take, sir. Well, I, I think if they just have to get pressure on the quarterback, that's first and foremost. If they can get pressure consistently, Quinn Williams has been playing at an all-pro level all year, especially inside the defensive tackle. If he can get going and the way that he can and for, force turnovers, kind of like what we alluded to there, I think they'll be in good shape to win. And then they got to run the ball. I think, you know, I know Mike White is still, you know, not 100% there, but they have to be able to run the ball. This team thrives on running the football. They're, you know, we saw with the first matchup against the Dolphins, too. If they're able to run the football, then I think the chances of them are going to uh, increase exponentially. But if they're not able to run the football and you got Mike White throwing the ball 40 times a game, then I, I think it's going to be tough for them to pull out the victory. The New York Daily News. He's at Antoine Staley on Twitter. Antoine, thank you again so much, my friend, and enjoy your time at the Elbow Room this weekend if you find your way down there uh, on A1A. But also, let's, let's uh, meet up in the press box on Sunday. Sound good? Yeah, man, anytime, man. I enjoy doing it. And there he goes. Let's go ahead and take our first break right here and come back on the other side and get to the Dolphins assistant coaches media from Thursday. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Let's go ahead and kick off assistant coaches media from Thursday ahead of the week 18 matchup against the New York Jets. And we start with Dolphins defensive coordinator Josh Boyer, who was asked, where did you think the Dolphin, the defense, Dolphins defense, could have been better, or where did you expect it to be better this season coming into the year? Here's Coach getting off the field on third downs, but here he is talking about that more extensively. From a week-to-week thing, usually when we, we don't have success, the first place you start is usually on third down because third down is like it gives you an opportunity to get off the field, get the ball back to the offense. And then, um, you know, a lot of times in the red area, we're getting them to third down, and those, those become four-point plays. So... If you get off the field, you know, statistically, you're given the three points on the field goal. That's over a 90% make uh, when you're ca- talking about, call it the, you know, 15 and in. And we've gotten to third down in those situations. And, um, you know, um, obviously, if you stop them there, like I said, that's a four point play. So th- those are the areas that, you know, that that's a stress point for us each week. And usually when we're successful there, then good things happen. And then when you're not, you know, drives extend and, they could become scoring drives. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, we, we've made offenses go the hard way. 
Um, you know, we've been competitive play after play, but, you know, when we have opportunities to get off the field, we need to do that. When we have opportunities to eliminate points in the red area, you know, uh, we, we sure need to do that. And obviously we're working hard on that, and we do each week. So uh, that's kind of how I see that. Really thought-provoking stuff there from Coach Boyer. And speaking of thought-provoking, Coach Frank Smith tends to give us the same things on the offensive side of the football. Let's hear from him in regards to the philosophical shift, I should say, about running the ball, throwing the ball, and where he comes down about the plan, whether they have the quarterback in, Teron in or not. Here's Coach Smith. Um, I think more of it was uh, the defense and what we saw on tape as far as what we're trying to attack and establish. So... Um, our goal, and obviously throughout the game, we want to make sure we establish a run. Uh, we saw opportunities that we wanted to try and maximize that. Um, you know, we're a block here. We're, we're close on some things from really getting what we wanted in that capacity. So um, I think ultimately not really thinking of it overall as like, hey, we wanted to shift philosophy as far as that. We we're really trying to make sure that uh, for us, running the football is obviously a priority. We thought we could uh, establish some concepts that would really help set up other plays. Uh, so I think it's always where we're trying to look at it as far as uh, attacking the defense, what is presented, uh, trying to put stress on them through different schemes and different uh, systems. Let's go back to Coach Frank Smith for two more questions here about the quarterback position. First, he was asked, what gives you confidence in Skylar Thompson if he is, in fact, your quarterback on Sunday in this pivotal game? Uh, physical and mental toughness. Uh, his ability to play within the timing of the play, uh, his fundamentals, uh, arm strength. I mean, a lot of stuff you've seen when he's in there. Uh, we just think that um, for a rookie quarterback, he's displayed so many uh, great traits that we feel very confident about, and um, uh, we're excited to uh, if he has to play, uh, playing him. And then, obviously, with all everyone in the situations they are, you know, we feel confident with the group. And finishing up here with Coach Smith, he was asked about how tough it is to make in-game quarterback changes as they have had to do all year long in the games without one starting. Somebody else had to finish it every single time. Here's Coach on the challenges of just that. It's, it's probably more challenging just to the nature of, of their controlling cadences, their controlling uh, rhythms of the ball being snapped. Uh, the communication in the huddle is a little different from all of them. So there's little minor things that go that you're just getting used to in, uh, in the course of a game. But... I mean, to your point, Chris, it's like we're professionals, everyone, us coaches, uh, players, and just trying to make sure that um, if there are in-game adjustments, if that's with personnel, all right, making sure that we do in our preparation, trying to get guys enough uh, work timing, all right, uh, hours together. I mean, I think, and that's, I think, it comes with the communication that we have to have before we go into a game to make sure contingencies or uh when guys are given look look reps, we're just making sure that we're all connected and, and making sure that as coaches we're monitoring things so we can um, try and seamlessly move uh, the players in between if that was necessary and it had to happen. Let's do one from running backs coach Eric Studisville and one from cornerbacks coach Sam Madison, first coach Studisville. I asked him about Alec Ingold going out there with a club on his hand and playing a position that's pretty much all hands with blocking and catching the football. Here's coach on Alec Engel, this Dolphins fullback that has just kind of won all of us over down here in South Florida. I think for the fact that six days post-surgery with pins in his thumb, uh, for this guy to tell me on Tuesday, you're not playing without me this weekend, I think speaks volumes to how much 
character he has, the toughness that he has, the mentality that he has. And I think it also speaks volumes as to how invested he is in this team and that he doesn't, he wants to be out there with his teammates contributing whatever way he can. And who better to ask about Dolphins and Jets than Dolphins cornerback coach Pat, Pat Sertan, Sam Madison, I'd ask both of them about that, uh, about how important this finale is against the Jets and their role as a spoiler. Here's coach on Dolphins and Jets. You always want to do that. And then, you know, they want to come in and play spoiler. Same, you know, if it was us going anywhere else. And that's just the way that this division's built. I mean, none of us like each other very much. And we know that. They know it. The fans know it. So it'll be a lot going on in the stands. But it's been cut back a little bit. But, you know, just ready and excited for these guys to go out here and, and put it on the line. You know, just being able to talk them through the things that, that myself, Pat, this organization been through with this with these uh, franchises over the course that we've been here and just want to get this game done and, um, and over with. But, um, you know, the guys are locked in. They're ready to go. We're going to keep them focused. And, you know, we know what the end result is, and, and they know as well. So, you know, it's going to be a dogfight, and, um, and, and I think our guys are ready and prepared for it. All right, there we go. You can find the entirety of these press conferences up on the team YouTube channel. In the meantime, though, we're going to take our last break and come back and answer your questions one more time here in the regular season on the Twitter mailbag. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Let's go ahead and finish up here on this Friday for week 18 with your questions via the Twitter mailbag. And we start here with at EliJTS. Do you expect to see a similar scheme and game plan as last week with the heavy run, more conservative, or are we looking at more design plays with instruction to Skyler that if the first read is not there, the play is over? Well, you really never know, do you? But yeah, I think the run game is key not just for the production, but for what it allows the rest of the offense to get to. It's part of the horizontal vertical stretch this offense is kind of based upon. And we hear Frank Smith talk each week about how the run game working frees up more concepts in the passing game. So it's always a priority. And when the Jets have been vulnerable on defense this year, it's when they are A, not generating takeaways, and B, the run game is working well against them. And fortunately, if you're doing B successfully, it probably means A is a lot more challenging for the defense to accomplish. I would point back to the Thursday podcast. I'm I'm sure you heard it already if you're listening and writing in questions for Friday, but I went really in depth on that on the preview podcast. It's a great question and I can't wait to see what happens. Like I always do these previews and it's like, I'm, I'm basically kind of guessing what will happen and it's fun for me to kind of measure what happens versus what I think will happen. So yeah, I, I think so, but we'll see on Sunday at monster underscore MHK on a scale of one to 10, how big of a failure was this season and the whole quote unquote rebuild uh, off the top, I would say it's tough to call a season a disappointment when it's not finished and you're still alive. So that's first. Like, what if they win and win again and win again? Not really a failure then. So uh, let's wait a week on that. But even if not, I just loathe the idea of like no excuses, you know, which is a very popular term to say on social media, which just means I don't want to hear any context or know any reasons why things are the way they are. I just accept the results as they are, I guess, which 
if more power to you if you can live that way. Because there's so many variables in this sport. We heard Coach Embry on Thursday say there's 12 to 13 games every year that you play are going to come down to one score, a two-minute drill, or a field goal, or whatever it might be. And I think when you rush to rash decisions based upon results without taking into account context, that's how you wind up making mega mistakes. Like, you know, what if you... Tua this year, for instance, proved he's pretty damn good, right? A lot of the stats top of the league and played really well and distributed the football, and we see the drop-off when you don't have him out there, and I certainly can tell you from the tape standpoint, big difference. You don't have Tua Tungavailoa out there. You're going to make a decision based upon, like, what, one or two things you didn't like because uh, there are other ten things to like. It's just I, I think it's a bad process when you say, like, didn't make the playoffs, get rid of everybody. Like, no. I think you trust your process and trust your eyes and recognize this is a really talented football team that has good schemes and belief in one another. And, look, I'm going to be as bummed out as anybody if the season ends on Sunday. But I also realize the attrition and unique circumstances this team has gone through. Like, look at, you know, you got to find a way to overcome those things, and that's certainly part of the evaluation. But, my goodness, like <laughs> – you know, Josh Boyer wouldn't do it on his press conference, but I'll do it for them. Without your QB1 for four games, in each of those games, the star doesn't even finish the game. That's pure insanity. Cornerback position. I mean, I don't think anybody anticipated Byron Jones being out all year. Uh, Trill Williams getting hurt in training camp. Mackenzie Alexander coming in for replacement. And he gets hurt in the first couple of days that he's here. Uh, who else am I missing? Nick Needham, Brandon Jones. Like, they're down to you know, 2019 levels of, of secondary play in terms of who's available to them. So it's it's tough to overcome all that stuff. And you mentioned the rebuild. Like, if you want to talk about where they've come, just look at the roster in 2019 or even 2018 before they reset things here. Like, that 2018 roster was atrocious. It's night and day now. And I think you should be very confident in this team heading forward, even if the last month was, you know, one challenging game after another. Because remember, they're right in all of those games. Like, what if the, the Christmas Day thing, the fumble doesn't happen, the, the – you know, to a situation doesn't happen. It's probably a different outcome. I know it's ifs, buts, and candies and nuts, but like, man, I don't know. Context tells me that this team's you know better than what their record was this year. At Jimbo Sandifer, Travis, will you continue to bring a positive outlook for this team that you always bring? Thank you for what you do. Salute to the man with a lemon tree for making lemonade. Great job, Travis. I love that. Good, good stuff. Uh, and first of all, thank you. Second, yeah, I'm I'm a positive person by nature, and I've mentioned this. You know, it seems like every year now. I don't watch sports or football to add something to my plate that's like negative. Like it's fun, right? If you're not having fun with it, then what are you doing here? I, I just don't understand that. If you don't get your desired outcome, then like go touch some grass. And for me, that's playing with my kids. It's an easy solution. It works 100% of the time. As for the coverage, you know, my, uh, and I'm using very dis- like distinct air quotes here, popularity, and I hate using that term because I, I, it just sounds so up my own ass. But I don't know how else to say it. My popularity rose in 2019 when I made a baseline claim that I wasn't going to harp on negatives because this was a roster in transition. And it would have been a boring podcast to me to sit there and be like, hey, here's the 86 player we've used this year. We signed him off of the uh, AAF and he let's go ahead and just dunk on him for 20 minutes on a podcast. That didn't that wasn't productive for anybody. So I just tried to uncover positives and give you ideas about which pieces could be a part of the core going forward. Like telling you Christian Wilkins has everything in the tool bag to be a great player. Yeah, kind of right there. Uh, but now fast forward to 2022, and again, still consider myself a very positive person. I haven't really been the knee jerk like fire everybody type of observer observer <laughs> for a long time. I'm not sure I ever was. Maybe my 20s when I didn't you know have full brain capacity, like you know, <laughs> which is the case. Uh, I just don't think that's productive. So I will always try to see the good, but I hope I bring balance and a level analysis of this team, which I think I have done pretty well this year. I don't know. 
I guess that's for you guys to decide. Good questions this week. Let's go ahead and get out of here, though. We'll have more on the written mailbag. If you didn't hear your question answered here on the podcast. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. That helps us more than you could possibly know. Have a couple of new ones in there this week. I appreciate you guys for doing that. Also, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Fish Tank, Spaces, Post Game Show, International Podcast, all that fun stuff. Also, the team YouTube channel for Dolphins Today, Media Availability. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy's coming home, and I hope Sunday's podcast is a playoff celebration. Come on. Dolphins.